one of the questions the kids uh, asked me was like, you know, what's your favorite, what's your favorite verse or passage? And the one that came to mind was actually one uh, that had been coming to mind was uh, Psalm 23, actually the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Psalm 23? Raise your hand. Uh, and if you're not, that's okay. I'm going to read uh, it in a little bit. But Psalm 23 is one of those popular psalms, uh, and it's written by one of the most popular f- biblical figures, uh, David. And so we've been talking about that in this series called The Tale of Three Kings. So I'm going to read it for you real quick. I'm reading it in the ESV because that's the closest thing that I'm used to. I don't want to just be stuttering when I'm reading to you. Uh, so I'm going to read it, it for you in the ESV, and you can follow along in whatever version that you have. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whew! Man, I love that. Um, Like, reading through, you get the sort of sense that David, like, David understood the words that he was writing. He wasn't just writing beautiful poetry. Like, these are things that that he lived. And so I think sometimes when we read it, we're like, wow, this is amazing. And I want this for my life. I want to be able to say and understand what it means uh, uh, that the Lord is my shepherd and that I don't need anything, right? But what if I told you that you can't experience Psalm 23 without first being broken? You can't experience any of those things. The Lord is your shepherd, victory, walking through the valley shadow of death without first being broken, right? And, and so let me put it for you this way because I think it'll make more sense, right? If you're a champion, you're, you're on a sports team, those of you who played sports or are playing sports now, like when you win something, right? If anyone says, well, there's an asterisk next to your championship, like that, that pisses you off. Like, are you, don't diss my championship, right? Uh, uh, and so I've mentioned before, Sean has talked about it, we play in this, the, the, the league, the 30 and up league at the YMCA, right? A couple seasons ago, uh, I was part of the championship team. There's another guy uh, we like to talk trash with, and he's like, well, there's an asterisk next to your championship because my guy got injured and, you know, we didn't play at our best. Um, and I'm like, well, that's not my fault. You should have made it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I wish I really played this dude so I can shut him up. Right? Like, because when you want to be a champion, like, we know, we feel true champions aren't true champions until they're tested. Right? What about marriages? Though, raise your hand, uh, and, I, and I apologize ahead of time if you're newly married. Those, the newlyweds that are like, oh, my marriage is so great, my relationship is so awesome. How many of you can't stand that? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. All right, what a, y'all are lying. You leave me up by myself. Some of you, some of you are being honest, right? It's not that we can't stand the, the newlyweds. It's just you've, you've never gone through anything yet. You're in the honeymoon stage. How are you going to talk about your relationship is the best when it hasn't been tested, right? When you haven't, the two imperfect people dealing with each other, 
plus the stresses of life. When they get out of that in a good place, that's a strong marriage, right? It's like muscles. Those of you that go to the gym, you know that you can't say you have muscles unless you've torn them and they've been rebuilt. That's just how it works, right? So it's the same thing with Psalm 23. You can't experience the things that David talked about without first being broken. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Sean, he talked about Saul and David and, and what it meant uh, when, you're, when people are throwing spears at you and you're, and you're ducking. And just to give you a recap, Saul was anointed king. He was the first king of Israel. Um, but along the way, through some decisions, some poor decisions he made, God rejected him as king. God said, well, I have somebody who's a man after my own heart, right? Acts 13, 22 says of David, he will do everything I want him to do. And so God anoints him as the next king of Israel, right? But instead of going straight to the throne, David goes back to herding sheep and then eventually is is serving Saul in his palace. Uh, And and then from there, in in moments of torment, Saul picks up his spear and chucks it at, at, at David. And David, wanting to preserve his life, is ducking. And, and what we talked about, what Sean kind of drew out is that um, very likely, and I'm saying very likely because I don't want to say 100%, but nobody here has a spear chucked at them, right? At work, this just doesn't happen, right? But we, so we're talking about metaphorical spears. If that is happening to you, please call 911. That is a threat of violence against your life. We're not in ancient Israel. It just doesn't work the same way. Um, but if you're having medical, metaphorical spears thrown your way, right, you're ducking. And what we talked about is God doesn't want, we're not picking up the spear and chucking it back, right? That might be our natural inclination, but what we should be doing is ducking. We should be uh, being disciplined and serving the jerks that are over us in whatever context, whether it be at work, at school, whatever it might be, whatever leaders you have, that person who's in your life who's a jerk. But may be ordained by God to help you learn something. And, and, and that's what we talked about. And so at the end, we learned that where you are right now and where God is taking you is a process without any shortcuts. Because sometimes I think we forget this, is that God wants to use broken people who have been deeply wounded. And sometimes, it's going to be hard to hear, sometimes God is the one doing the breaking. Right? He needs to, he needs to break us. But we still leave with this question in mind. Right, when we go through a hard situation. When will this season end? When will this season of my King Saul come to an end? When will the suffering stop? So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at the life of King David. Um, and we're going to see that he does escape Saul, but instead of things getting better, they get worse. Now just Saul, I mean, the, the story of David is, is an awesome one. If you've never read it before, I encourage you to do that. Like, it's so good. How many of you have ever watched The Chosen or heard of The Chosen? Raise your hand. Right? A lot of you. It's high-quality television about the lives of Jesus and the disciples. Like, it's amazing. Like, if they were ever going to do, like, a spinoff or, or a prequel, like, the story of David would be an amazing topic. It'd be an epic. It put Game to Thrones to shame how amazing it is, right? And it's got to be rated R. Not for explicit stuff. We're not doing rated R Game of Thrones. That's, we're not going there, right? This, this is God's word. So what we're, the rated R would be for all the, like, the beheadings and the, and the stabbings and the battles and all this other stuff, right? You want, 
Guys with me, like, that would be amazing. Forget John Wick. I want the story of David from the producers of Chosen. Right? So the story is amazing. I encourage you to, to go read it. Um, but what we are seeing from David is that life gets worse, and these are the lessons that we're going to learn. But let's start with this. Verse, uh, verse 11 in, in 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, and it says, Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to, what are they told to do? Kill, is it up there? Kill David when he came out the next morning. But McCall's, but McCall, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So David didn't decide for himself when he needed to leave. The circumstances decided for him. Um, Saul had gone from throwing uh, uh, spears at him at random times to wanting to kill him all the time. Uh, and so this is just, just a quick side note because we opened it up last week, but we sort of might be asking, well, I'm, I'm in a situation right now and I'm getting the metaphorical spears thrown out. When is the right time to leave? And I, I think we're, we're not David, right? Nobody's actually throwing a, a spear at us. And I told you, you need to call 911 if that does happen. But Um, What we can learn from David in that situation is that we need people around us who care about us and who also love God giving us advice. And so in this situation with David, McCall, who's his wife, but is also Saul's daughter, and then we didn't get a chance to read it, but Jonathan, who is David's best friend and also Saul's son, are like, bro, dude, my dad wants to kill you. Like this is, I didn't, I thought maybe this wasn't the case. I dissuaded him from doing, he wants to kill you. He is, Jonathan's like, he even threw a spear at me when I said, why are you doing this to David, right? So you need to leave, right? So I think for us, it's important to have community who are going to help us in situations because when we're in it, it's hard for us to see which way for us to go, all right? So um, David, he's on the run. He flees. He finds food with uh, Ahimelech, who's the priest of Israel, uh, he grabs Goliath's sword because he didn't get a chance to grab anything. He's like, he, this dude's on the run. Um, and he goes to Gath. And, and you might not know what, where, where Gath is, but Gath is in Philistia. And so he's in enemy territory, right? And so he's scared of Saul, but he's also scared of where he's walking into because the Philistines and Israel, like they are sworn enemies. And the Bible says that David was so scared that he acted like a madman, right? He started just drooling and foaming at the mouth, and, and, and drool is coming down his beard. And so the king, uh, King Akish, is like, is this David? Is this David who killed Goliath? Like, why are you bringing me this, this crazy person, this madman? Like, get him out of my sight. And so David has gone from standing up to Goliath, killing him, to having to resort to acting like a madman because he's scared for his life. Like, that is rock bottom, right? And, and like I said earlier, we all, like, life is, life is difficult, and things get worse for David. So um, from there, he flees and he leaves, and we find ourselves in, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. And it says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he left his home, he left his family, although his family did join him throughout the way, but he left his wife, he left his job security, everything that he knew. He left comfort, right? He left the kingdom, and now he's dwelling 
in a cave. And so I think the reality of life, whether you are a Christian or not, is that life is difficult. Right? Can we agree with that? Like, we're going to go through some stuff in this life. It's just, it is what it is. Some of us experience loss. Some of us lose our jobs. And actually, there's a family just this past week just going through tremendous loss. Where Mom, very young, just was there one moment, and, and now she's not. This family is reeling at the sudden loss of a huge part of their family. Like, stuff like this happened to us, and we're like, what is happening? Right? One moment, everything's okay, and the next, your whole world is turned upside down. Like, we, we, we're going to go through things. We're going to go through heartache. We're going to go through betrayal. We'll go through arrogant and belittling bosses or leaders. And we're going to go through crippling financial uh, difficulties. Like, we're going to go through stuff in this life. But here's a distinction that I want to make, and I want to make it clear. Although we're all going to go through this life, but those like David who put their trust in God, only they, after going through those things, will have a Psalm 23 ending. Only by trusting God through the difficult things will they have a Psalm 23 ending. And so what we want to do is look at what was David's mindset as things were getting worse for him as he was living in the cave, as he was making the right decision and things were still getting worse. So I think, I think there are three lessons we're going to take away with, uh, that we're going to leave with when it comes to trust. And the first lesson is trust happens in the kingdom and in the cave. Trust happens in the kingdom and in the cave. Remember, the kingdom represents all the good things, right? He had trust there. He stood up to Goliath and killed Goliath, right? That was the kingdom. Right? He had all these, you know, Saul's like, I need you to go. Saul, uh, you know, Sean talked about foreskins. I'm not getting into that. It's weird. But anyway, he had to do that, right? He kind of, he did that, but he did it in the context of the kingdom, and he was applauded for it. But now he's in the cave. Now he's alone. And he's on the run, and the king of Israel wants him dead. And David trusts not just in the kingdom, but the cave. So we get a chance to get a glimpse of what his sort of thought process was when we read Psalm 142, verse 3 and 5. won't read the whole thing. Again, I encourage you to do that. The inscription about the psalm says it's a psalm of David regarding his experience in the cave. He's been in a couple of caves, but we can assume that uh, this is his first experience by the things that he's writing about that this is the cave of Adullam that he's in. So verse 3 says, When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. Verse 4, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. David is living this stuff. Like they're setting traps for him left and right. Saul, we don't get a chance again to see all of this, but every waking moment Saul hears about where David is, he's after him. Right? No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Verse 5, then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. David's understanding of God being his refuge while he's in the cave is what allows him to trust not just in the kingdom, but also in the cave. My, wife, uh, my wife's name is Diane. Um, and some of you might see her if you go over to the kids' end. Uh, but uh, she, at the time, early on in our marriage, we were just coming to Grace Church and all of that. There was, she was at a, working at a health center, 
And she started by, off by doing accounting and then sort of moved over to compliance. Uh, but when she moved over to compliance, she had her direct report became the, uh, the CFO. And so the CFO was a jerk, like terrible guy. Um, <laughs> I don't remember his name. Um, and if I did, I wouldn't say it. I don't want to, I'm not causing any trouble. It was years ago. Chuck trying to get me in trouble, bringing up the past. Um, but he was a jerk. He was a jerk. And it got so bad, right, when she'd be in meetings and, and she would, he would belittle her. Um, when other vendors would be there and it's her meeting that she'd run, she'd kind of come in and undercut her and be dismissive. I got to the point where my wife would come home every day almost in tears, crying about her workday. And as a husband, right, it's like two things that come up. What is a civilized thing to do and what is the most violent thing to do in that situation? <laughs> but obviously, we cannot do that. We cannot be walking into places, punching dudes out, even if you imagine it, right? And so my mom thinking like, God, what do we do? I, this can't be good for my wife's mental health, what she's going through. And whatever you might think, maybe it was the right decision, maybe it wasn't. But at the moment, like, hey, this is what I think we'll do is you resign. You know, you, you've got your, she was, she had graduated from law school. So you have your JD. You just get another job, right? We'll live off the, some of the savings we have because the one income wasn't enough for all the bills. And, and we'll have another job and it'll be fine. Um, and, and so that's what we did. But one month, two months, three months became four months, became five months, six months, no job. Like we, this, is, this, is, this is a scary situation. It had gotten so bad that um, while we were trying to modify our mortgage and all this other stuff, um, we had gotten down to one week before our house would be foreclosed on. This was a year-long process. Like, man, that season was wild. And here we, are, here we are, it came from a decision to, I think we just need to leave this situation. And it didn't get any better. It got worse. But we had to trust God, not just in the kingdom, but in what? The cave. And so the, the manner that came in was, are we going to honor God and be generous by paying tithes, by, by giving? And it didn't make any sense logically because we can't pay all of our bills, but here we are giving to God through our local church. But that's what God required because at the end of the day, we needed to trust him. And so those difficult situations break us. And you've heard the saying, like hard things will either break you or make you. But what I say when it comes to God, when you trust him, those situations will break you and they will make you. God is in the business of not just breaking people down, but he's going to build them back up. And that's what happens to David, right? He, he, he kind of sheds all preconceived notions of what life should be, right? My wife and I, like it very quickly, we, get, we realized that our trust in God was our own ability to work. And as that got taken away, we had to trust God at that point because the ability to work wasn't coming up now. Even though we were looking for it, it wasn't happening, right? It takes your theories and forms them into reality. It takes the idea of trusting God and puts you in a place where you have to trust God. So... As you're trying to trust God, not only in the kingdom, but in the cave, I'm asking you to embrace the cave. Don't hate it. 
Because what God wants to do is to break you and to make you. So that's the first lesson. You got to trust God in the kingdom and you got to trust him in the cave. Here's the second lesson that we learned from David. You got to trust, uh, excuse me, trust recognizes that God gives. Trust recognizes that God gives and we don't take. Right? We can't forget, yes, David is on the run. He is a fugitive and King Saul wants to kill him. But at the same time, David is the anointed king of Israel. He's the next king in line, right? Saul knew this. Samuel, who anointed him, knew this. Michal, his daughter, knew this. Jonathan, his son, knew this. Saul's son and and daughter. Uh, Whole Israel knew this. They knew David was king, yet at the same time, this man's on the run for his life, right? So it's not... um, it's not crazy to think that David's thinking at that point was, I can't get in the way of what God is doing in human history. I need to let him do it. David was recognizing that it's not his to take, but it's God's to give, right? And we see this being lived out in David's interaction with Saul. And we're going to find that in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 through 8. It reads, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. He had to use the bathroom. He just, hey, when you got to go, you got to go, right? This is what it says. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. And what they said is probably like you and I would say in that moment, now's my chance. Now's my opportunity. I'm going to end this. No more running. Now's the opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. And guys, certainly that's what it looked like. Can you imagine the guy who's trying to kill you is all of a sudden in the most a vulnerable position by using the bathroom and he doesn't even know you're in the cave with him. That seems like a God thing. Yes or no? Yeah. Right? And so, so David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But verse 5, this is David's conscience comes into play. It began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. This is why. This is his thinking. He recognized God gives, I don't take. For the Lord himself has chosen him. He's like, I didn't put Saul on the throne. God did. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. This was David's opportunity to stop being a fugitive like Harrison Ford being chased by Tommy Lee Jones. Some of you got that. Younger folks, you didn't. It's a good movie called The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, right? This is his opportunity to no longer be a fugitive. Remember, it's the truth that he was anointed to be king. If he killed Saul, he wouldn't be in trouble. He'd be anointed king and all of this nonsense would stop. But what David recognized, and that you and I need to recognize, is that the kingdom wasn't his to take, but God's to give. And he, he 
realize that if God has not given it to me yet, there's a reason behind it. God is in control and he hasn't changed the circumstances, then there's a reason. He trusted God and that trust recognized that God gives and he doesn't take. And so this is how he responds to Saul in verse 12. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. David's like, that's not me. I'm not doing that. I will not be responsible for touching the Lord's anointed. So much so, like I said, David's story is so cool. Different opportunities where David has found out, like when Saul died and this guy brags about killing him because Saul asked him to do that. He didn't want to be killed by the Philistines. David in turn kills the guy and says, who are you to touch the Lord's anointed? Right? And so this is David's mindset. He would rather live in brokenness in a cave, fully submitted to and trusting in God than to take power for himself. Now, we're going through this financial situation. I was talking about Diane and and myself, our family. Um, And we're in the midst of looking for a job. And what comes along our way is a 90K a year position. 90,000 is nothing to sneeze at, guys. 90,000 is like, okay. Already in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is what we can do. We can pay the bills that we haven't paid. We're going to keep the house. Uh, we're going to build up whatever, our, our, you know, our, our, um, our retirement and so on and so forth. Like 90, we're going to get some other car. Like 90K plus what I was making, which was chump change. Like, God, thank you. But guess what it was for? Massachusetts, a compliance job in the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. Now, I'm not here to talk about gambling, what your thoughts are on it or whatever, but the reality that we were dealing with was gambling affected a number of people, not just in Massachusetts, but everywhere, right? Gambling addiction is a serious thing. And that came up for us. We're like, in one, mo- in one part, here's what we need. God, this is truly from you, right? It's in compliance. It's what she does. It's available. But at the same time, our conscience is like, ah. I don't think this is something that you need to be a part of. And we said no to it. We recognize that God is the one who gives. We don't take. And, and you would imagine that things get better from there. It didn't. It didn't get any better. So while you might be in a position to take, you can easily respond by throwing back the spear, by taking the job you shouldn't take, by slandering your boss and getting her fired, or by even outing your friends mistaken, embarrassing them instead, or in the same way that they embarrassed you. Yet you won't, and I won't, and we won't, because you trust God enough not to take, but instead to wait on what God is going to give you. So those are the two lessons so far. One, we trust God not just in the kingdom, but also in the cave. And the second lesson, trust recognizes that God gives and we don't take. And this is the third lesson, and it's simply this. Trust leads to Psalm 23. David, while he was there, and the the, the people he was leading, they became the outlaws, and they went out, and they were fighting battles against the Philistine and winning. Uh, They were protecting weaker towns and fighting off the strong, right? They were so awesome and so daring that they went to the king of Gash, right, King Akish, who's their sworn enemy, and is like, yo, we can be part of your army. 
And dude's like, yes, I've heard of you. You killed Goliath, but here's what you've been doing with your men. I forget the part where you were mad. So much so that they gave David and his men a town to live in, and he would go on raids for them. But this is what David would do while the king of Gash would think he's on a raid defeating the Philistines, right, the, the Israelites and their enemy, they're actually defeating Israel's enemy. Like, they're, they're behind enemy lines, killing it. This is the stuff that they're doing. And then eventually, Saul and, and Jonathan died by the hands of the Philistines. David mourns both of them. And then he's finally anointed king. Before king of the entire Israel, he's anointed king in Judah, which he spent seven and a half years there. And then we get to 2 Samuel 5, verse 1 to 3. I won't get to read all of it. But verse 3 says, So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. Finally, after 15 years, when he was first anointed, he's finally king of Israel. Now, when you think about it, the Bible says that he was 30 when he started his reign in Hebron. Uh, and so he spent 15 years before he actually became king. So that means he was 15 years old, right? Give or take. So that means if you and I are looking at it, we're not giving a 15-year-old the keys to the kingdom and say, go rule because we anointed you. doesn't make sense, right? You're not a bagger, a grocery bagger in Stop and Shop in Stoughton, and all of a sudden you're going to be the CEO the next day. Like that just doesn't make any sense. And in that scenario, God doesn't operate out of nonsense either. So he had to grow David to be the type of king that he wanted him to be that was different from King Saul. And that required being taken out of the kingdom into the cave to get back to the kingdom over a span of 15 years. So you and I, we're going to go through some tough things. And in the moment, we don't understand why or what God is doing. But when we stand back, we have the opportunity to see that God was preparing you to do some amazing thing as long as you're willing to trust him. Right, so we take that experience and we trust in God and he's brought David back to the kingdom, right? He's brought us to where we need to be. And without all of that, without any of those things, we would not have gotten Psalm 23. And so when we go back to reading, we're gonna do that in a moment, you can take the experience that we just talked about and realize what David went through to even be able to claim the things that he wrote in Psalm 23. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David went without, right? He understood what it meant to be without, and he was satisfied by God. You and I, we can't say that God is everything that we need until everything else got, has been taken and removed from us, and God is all the things, all the things that we have. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David, as a king, he found peace when he finally became king. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We saw in the cave, even though David had the opportunity because of God's namesake, he did what was right, even though it cost him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David faced death daily while he was in the cave and on the run, but had, a, had the wise understanding that all of this was necessary. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David was having lunch 
behind enemy lines while backstabbing them at the same time. You don't just do that. You don't walk to the enemy and like, I want to be part of your team now. It doesn't happen. God prepared the table for David in the presence of his enemies. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David always had this mindset that, listen, whatever happens to me is what happens to me because that's what God wants. But I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z. Right? I'm not going to touch Saul. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to harm this. I'm not going to do that. And everything that came after that with God's mercy, right? All the way up to the point where he becomes king. So to wrap it up, like I mentioned earlier, you and I were not David. We didn't have spears thrown at us. We're not living in a cave. But I think there are some practical things that we can take from David's life and that we can apply to ours. Because we're all going to go through difficult times, like I mentioned. And so I think a couple of things, a couple of things that we can apply to our lives. And the first thing is, while we're in the cave, we should grow. Grow while you're in the cave. Right? I glossed over this at the beginning in, in 1 Samuel 22. But verse 2 of that chapter says, Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. David turned those group of men into his mighty army. Like he didn't just sit there and wallow in what was happening. He became a captain. He learned what it took to be a leader. He shaped and led those men into battles and they were victorious. He turned that cave into their fortified uh, uh, home base where they go out on raids and then come back there. Like David didn't just sit around. So for you and I who are going through difficult situations, we need to grow while we're in them. God, remember, is doing something in it. And so we need to take that opportunity. So maybe we need to learn some new skills. Maybe we need to go back to school. Or maybe just join the ministry and help out. Diane, like I said, she, she had gone to school for a JD. She studied, sat for the bar, and became an attorney. Maybe we need to encourage the people around us who are also hurting, or God has given us an opportunity to spend more time with our family and our loved ones. We've been so preoccupied with our work. Like all, You need to grow while you're in the cave. And the second thing is you need to regularly consult God. That was something David just, he constantly did. We won't get a chance to read all of the passages, but... Uh, David was deciding to save this town called Keilah, and he said, should I go and attack them? And God responded, yes, go and save Keilah. David asked the Lord, should I chase the band of raiders? The band of raiders came into that town that was given to them by King Gath and, and plundered them, taking their wives and children. And, and David is asking God, should I do this? Should I go and rescue them? And God says, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And then when Saul and, and Jonathan died, he said, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? And said, yes, the Lord replied. And he was crowned king, anointed king over Judah. David constantly, constantly consulted God. And you and I need to do the same thing. We're in, a hard, in good times and also in bad times, we need to go to God. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? I can't find a job. What do you want me to do with it? God, I'm in this situation dealing with these people. What do you want me to do with it? God, this is major loss in my life. And I'm broken. What do you want me to do here? Like David, you can trust God while in the cave to give you a Psalm 23 ending. 
And I think the cool thing, right, David had, you'll find examples of this, where he uh, foreshadows the Messiah. And because of what God was doing in David's life, it led to Jesus Christ. It led to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, giving us, the, you and I, the opportunity to find and to follow him, to turn from our sins and to give our life to him. To be made right with God and to spend and to have the chance to spend eternity with God. He's given us that opportunity. David likely didn't know exactly what God was doing, but this was the plan all along. And God has a plan for your life too. Maybe you're the person that God is going to use to bring your family to Jesus or your neighborhood. Or, or to be the type of company that serves their community and to have godly core values. I don't know what that is, but you need to regularly consult God and to grow in the situation that you're in. So if you're here today, in a moment we're going to pray, and you've been wrestling of whether God is drawing you to place your faith in him. I don't know how the drawing thing happens, how God does what he does, but what I do know is that for some of you, you sat here and this sermon didn't do anything. You got a couple of good things, and, and that's okay. Today, maybe God wasn't drawing you, but for some of you, This thing is burning a hole in your chest, but at the same time giving you hope that you can trust God. What I'm saying, if that's happening to you and you haven't turned from your sin yet, this is the opportunity to do it. We're going to pray. Close your eyes and bow your heads. If you are at a place and you know that God has been drawing you, um, this is the time I'm going to give you a moment for you to confess and to let God know you recognize that there's nothing that you could do to deserve or to earn salvation that your sin separated you from God. And because God is just, it cannot go without being dealt with. But that you know Jesus took your place and that if you place your faith in him and give your life to him, he is powerful to rescue you and to make you his kid. And if that's where you're at now, I'm gonna give you opportunity to confess that to God Let him know that you are turning from your sin to follow him. Do that right now. If you already a child of God, but maybe you're going through some difficult time in your life, it's not a literal spear, but maybe you're in financial debt or you and your spouse are not on good terms, your kids are going through some things or you're being bullied at school, whatever that case may be, imagine that you would ask God to help you to trust him more while you're in this situation so that you can be reminded and encouraged that he is trustworthy and that he will do something with the pain that you're going through. And all you need to do is just trust him. God, thank you for using the pain that we experience for our good and for your glory. God, thank you that um, you teach us to trust you not just in the kingdom but in the cave, that you allow us to recognize that everything is yours to give and not ours to take. And, God, that we can have a Psalm 23 ending where we experience how awesome you are firsthand as long as we trust you. So help me help us to do that, God. Help us to put our full trust in you, not just today but in every single day and every single situation that we go through, good and bad, Good seasons and bad seasons, mountains and valleys. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.